This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Cineos Health, a new fully integrated biopharmaceutical solutions organization that's the result of a merger between INC Research and Inventive Health. Cineos Health is focused on a simple end goal, shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit cineoshealth.com podcast. Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Wednesday, October the 3rd, and we're talking healthcare. I'm your host, Shannon Jones, and I am joined via Skype by the Fool.com expert when it comes to all things healthcare, <laughs> all around good guy, Todd Campbell. Todd, how are you? Shannon, I'm doing great. I'm excited. I'm going to be coming down to Fool HQ, uh, spend a couple days um, with you and the Austin behind the glass and a few other people down there looking forward to the writers conference. We do it every year and it's just such a great time to get together with all these wonderfully foolish people. Yes, I think the IQ level of everyone rises at least by 20 to 30 points when you have all these experts in one room. I'm super excited. And for our listeners, we'll have a special treat for you for next week's Industry Focus Healthcare episode. Uh, We're going to have Todd and, as he mentioned, several others joining us here in the studio to talk about a very hot topic. I won't tell you which because I want you to listen in to hear it, Uh, but be sure to check out next week's episode for that. But uh, turning our attention to to this week, Todd. So for today's show, we're going to be talking about two biotechs, small in size, but definitely not small when it comes to interest. Uh, These two stocks have really uh, kind of taken the world by storm for both good and bad reasons. Uh, So we're going to be diving into the latest on Geron and also Ameros, both of which reported, well, you can say not so great news over the past week. And we'll be really diving into, is there a silver lining somewhere in the midst of all the bad news with these two stocks? So let's dive right into the first one, Geron. That was the first, uh, you can just call it a a blow up this week. Um, And that's ticker symbol G-E-R-N for our listeners. Todd, this small blood cancer startup um, has probably been, I would say, one of the most polarizing biotech stocks when it comes to the bull and bear case. You've really seen this play out tremendously in terms of just volatility, even over the past several months. Um, if you look at it just from last week, the stock fell 23% in one day. It's currently trading at about $1.69 a share, $310 million market cap. And Todd, this was actually a stock that was one of the best performers this year when it came to the biotech space. What is it that has really captivated the attention of the bears and the bulls alike with this stock? Biotech stocks and binary events, right, Shannon? I mean, wow. Talk about hit or miss. Um, It's really uh, when you have one drug in development, and that was the case here at Geron, everything comes down to whether or not the clinical trials go off without a hitch. And, you know, unfortunately for Geron, its investors, there were enough questions about the clinic, early stage clinical trials that just wrapped up for their collaboration partner, J&J, to, I guess, jilt them, send them a dear John, right, Shannon? <laughs> That's right. This was a love story gone bad, Todd, is really what it came down to. So you've got the breakup now um, that that came out really off of news from this trial. Um, Todd, This company has been through so many hurdles. It's been around since 1990. 
trying to get um, up and off the ground. J&J was going to pull up alongside of it, really help it to get to the finish line. But I would say even more than the trial results, really the big question mark, all eyes have been on this this partnership. So what can you tell us about what exactly happened, what transpired over this last week? All right. So back in 2014, J&J decided that it would uh, license global rights to Geron's only drug, which is a metal stat. And metal stats being, uh, was being, it, well, it still is, is being researched for hematological cancers, as you mentioned, uh, specifically myelodysplastic syndromes. We'll call that MDS and myelofibrosis. And the myelofibrosis one arguably being... Um, very important because that's a billion-dollar blockbuster indication at this point. So J&J stepped up, gave $35 million back in 2014 to get the global licensing rights to this drug. The two companies shared development costs, um, but J&J wrote into the agreement an opportunity for it to walk away and return the rights that it secured uh, back to Geron if it wasn't happy with how the early-stage trials read out data. The reason the stock has been such a battleground, a biotech battleground this year, Shannon, is that we were at that point where J&J was starting to be able to gather enough of this early stage data together to form its decision and figure out whether or not it was going to continue to develop a middle step by bringing it into phase three trials, or if it was going to say, you know what, we've got bigger fish to fry right now. We're going to give this back to you, Jaron, and you're you got to figure it out on your own. And, you know, unfortunately, um, for for Jaron investors and, you know, for Jaron, because now they're facing some pretty tough decisions from here, um, J&J's review of the data wasn't, you know, they they, they weren't convinced. Um, sure enough, they, they sent them a letter, sent, sent the drug packing um, and said, you know, strategic review. Uh, we've decided to focus on other, other stuff in our pipeline. Um, and there you go. There you have it. Yeah, and so I think for this company, the huge question mark is, can it go on without a big partner? Uh, obviously, having the backing, uh, the financial footing of a J&J to help fund this company moving forward um, was something that, I mean, you really want to see that across any early stage biotech that you've got a really solid partner that can help fund. Now, that rug has been pulled out from under them. Um, I think if you look at it, though, from the perspective of competitors, there's actually some good news here when it comes to Insight and Jacophy. Um, Jacophy has is a drug blockbuster for Insight right now. Um, that drug in particular, and Todd, you can go into more detail, but it really treats the symptoms related to this particular disease class, but not necessarily the disease itself. And that was something that Geron was attempting to do. So what does this mean for, for Insight and potentially even Celdrine, who has a drug in development moving forward too? Right. And just to back up really quickly, I mean, one of the things that's really disappointing for Geron investors is that they're gonna they're they're now missing out on a, a boatload of cash that the J and J could have handed them because of J and J's decision to walk away. If J and J had said, Yes, we're gonna bring this into phase three, then they would have paid sixty five million dollar continuation fee to Geron. Plus Geron could have received up to eight hundred and twenty million dollars in um, additional milestones if development continued and went off without a hitch, plus eventual royalties. So yes, this is very disappointing from that front. In terms of insight, insight's jacophy is used in myelofibrosis. And that's when I said earlier that this is a billion-dollar blockbuster indication. That's what I was referring to. Uh, I think last quarter, uh, jacophy's sales were tracking at about a 1.6 
billion dollar place pace for insight. The problem with Jacophy is that uh, there's a very high discontinuation rate to it. Um, within five years, I think 75% of Jacophy patients discontinue its use. So they either, you know, they're intolerant to it because of side effects or, or they develop a resistance to it. It's no longer effective. Whatever reason, they're going off the drug within five years. That had really gotten Geron investors excited because Geron's drug, Metalstat, works differently. It does not ta tar have the same mechanism of action as Jacophy. So, People thought, hey, if we can get approval of this, um, then you know maybe we can even get it, you know, a quick okay from the FDA for its use in those patients who are no longer on Jacophy, because unfortunately the prognosis once you discontinue Jacophy is pretty poor in this patient population. Now, as we look forward and put on our, you know, pull up our binoculars and try and see what this company may do from here, um, they may not even end up pursuing. Uh, an indication myelofibrosis uh, in phase three. Um, it's all going to depend on some data. I'm sure we'll talk uh, about that in a second, but uh, it's all going to depend on some data. And if they don't, then yeah, Jacophy's is not going to have to worry about any kind of competitive threat in in myelofibrosis from a metal stat from Geron. Instead, it's going to have to worry about competitive threat from another drug, uh, which is a separate conversation, but that drug is cell genes fidratinib, which uh, is supposed to get filed for FDA approval relatively soon. So it looks like those two companies uh, in myelofibrosis, for now, anyways, are are benefiting from uh, Geron's stumble. Yeah, and Celgene, their particular drug candidate, it's not to say it's, I mean, it's had a pretty rocky history in and of itself. We'll probably have to do an episode just on that at some point, too, Todd. Um, but I'm, I'm curious to pick your brain in terms of can Geron find a new partner? So, looking at its cash position, company had $183 million. 183 million in cash on the books as of its conference call. Can it find a partner? Will it find a partner? Is a suitor in the mix at this point? It's not enough cash. It's not. It's you know they're they're going to need to figure out a way to bolster their balance sheet. They have enough money on the conference call, and I urge all of our investors to go punch it up and and read through it um, or listen to it. Uh, they said that they have enough money to execute on the strategy that they outlined in the conference call. I'll get to that in a second. Uh, but beyond that, they weren't willing to give up any kind of cash guidance. And I, I think that that should be a big red flag for investors because you know if you can't secure a partnership, someone to walk in and say, hey, yeah, we'll give you some money up front and help you with these development costs, then wow, you're going to be on the hook for those phase three, phase three trial expenses yourself. Uh, you're going to your cash burn is going to accelerate significantly, which means you're going to have to tap investors. And the last thing you want to do is tap investors when your stock's trading at 52-week lows. Absolutely. So, pretty dire right now for this particular company. Um, you mentioned the conference call and looking forward. Um, what came out of that conference call, number one? And then number two, do you see them, I guess, what's the probability of them continuing on into a phase three successfully in myelofibrosis? <laughs> Right, right. Okay, so well, let's take MDS first, which we haven't spent a ton of time talking about. Um, MDS, they feel encouraged enough by the information that J and J shared with them to pursue phase three. So that's going to be their focus. They're going to focus on the on the MDS indication initially, and their hope is to be able to get a phase three trial up and running sometime in the middle of 2019. As far as myelofibrosis, uh, they're going to have to wait and see what overall survival data looks like. Because the data that they did share, and, and we're going to know more in December. There's a American Society of Hematology conference that goes on every December. 
J&J has submitted the full data set for presentation at that conference. As a result, Geron's hands are a little bit tied in what they can share with investors about efficacy and safety and all that stuff. But they did provide some some top-line data, um, which I'll get to the second in, in myelofibrosis. Anyways, they're going to pursue the MDS. In the myelofibrosis, they need to see overall survival data come in strong because Jacoby's approval was based on a reduction in spleen volume. And unfortunately, in a metal stats early stage TAF trial, spleen volume reductions really didn't move the needle. Uh, they didn't reach the, the target set at the onset. They really just weren't significant enough for them to feel like that can be a primary endpoint in a phase three trial. So their only hope for resurrecting and myelofibrosis, Shannon, back to your question, is if that overall survival data comes in good. And unfortunately, that's, that's, that's a who knows, right? I mean, obviously, J&J wasn't willing to take the risk. Um, so investors are probably better off staying on the sidelines and, and waiting until there's clarity there, too. Yeah, I totally agree. I think uh, the risk on this particular stock has gone through the roof. Um, I, I will say, I think the particular area and the high unmet need patient populations that Geron is going after still keeps me intrigued to see what can happen. Expectations are relatively low, though. But when you have these high areas of unmet need, relatively few options, if any, plus also deep-pocketed big pharma companies that are desperate um, for really just bolstering their own pipelines, I think it makes this company that more interesting, especially when you look at its market cap and even its cash position at this point, too. So, uh, I'm I'm curious to see what will shake out industry-wide in this particular space. Uh, blood cancers, blood disorders tend to be very lucrative uh, across the board. So, we'll have to see on that. Um, particularly with the data that will come out later this year. Uh, but ultimately, hang out on the sidelines, watch this one from afar, but keep your eyes posted. Um, on the other side of the break, we're going to dive into our second biotech. That's uh, Ameris. But first, a quick break from our sponsors. This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Cineos Health. Bringing a new drug to market is getting tougher and tougher. At Cineos Health, they're changing the game. As a result of a merger between INC Research and Inventive Health, they've created a unique business model that allows clinical and commercial disciplines to work together, eliminating traditional process obstacles and delivering something they call biopharmaceutical acceleration. Helping their customers accelerate the delivery of important therapies to patients, Cineos Health is focused on a simple end goal, shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit CineosHealth.com slash podcast. All right, Todd. So we turn our attention to our second uh, biotech of the week. So we're talking about Omeris Corporation. That's ticker symbol O-M-E-R uh, for our listeners. This is a commercial stage biotech. Um, but shares have been all over the place this week, Todd. Uh, particularly Monday, shares dropped 43% actually then uh, turned around, recovered just slightly, picking up 10% by Tuesday. I looked uh, just a few minutes ago, shares are now down 1.6% and are currently sitting at $15.13. Todd, this stock has been all over the place for a couple of different reasons, but what can you tell us about the company and its lead candidate, one of which was hoping to become a potential blockbuster? Right. This is a very interesting story, and it's a it's kind of a toughie because it's it's got a, it does have that one commercial stage drug, which is Omidria, 
Uh, that's used in cataract surgery. However, sales for that drug have been declining sharply all year because of changes in, to reimbursement from Medicare for it um, that has created a big drag on it over the course of the first you know, nine months or so. I'll explain the other end of the other side of that later on in the episode. The reason for the huge drop off last week was because of data that was reported on OMS 721. It's a MASP, M-A-S-P, 2 inhibitor. Uh, MASP is a component of the immune system. Uh, and when it's overactive, it can cause tissue damage and injury, uh, which can be a very big problem, especially with um, when you're talking about organs, specifically the uh, the kidney. So they are investigating OMS 721 in a three different, and probably additionally uh, further back in the pipeline, three different indications uh, that can cause life-threatening kidney failure. And the information that they've released in the past, Shannon, to investors about OMS 721 have been, has been pretty good. I mean, it hasn't been horrible. Um, but last week, uh, or sorry, this week, they, they updated some data from one of those trials. And investors looked at that data and were like, oh, wait, maybe this isn't as good of a drug as I thought it was. Yes, and so these are actually results from a phase two phase two trial um, looking at OMS seven twenty one in a progressive kidney disease. We'll just call it IGA for short. Um, and to say the least, I think it left many investors scratching their heads. So the company put out a pretty pretty positive PR note talking about how wonderful uh, this drug did in the studies. But when you actually started to dig into it. It really was not that impressive, and I'd have to say this is one where that daggone placebo effect really kicked into play here, Todd. You gotta wonder. I mean, what did they tell the copy editor who wrote that press release? <laughs> right? Exactly. I would have liked to have been a fly on the wall. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm not gonna, you know, whatever. I mean, you have to always read press releases, investors, listeners, uh, with a very, very. Um, uh, cautiously, and you know, take everything that they say with a grain of a big old fat grain of salt, because you really, you know, they're going to put the rest foot forward. And in the case of this press release in IGA, uh, in the phase two trial, what they wanted us to focus on was the fact that um, the amount of protein that is measured in the urine, which is the gold standard measurement for kidney disease, kidney failure and advancing, uh, protein in the urine was declining and declined relatively sharply in this small. Uh, group of patients. They had 12 people who were enro enrolled in the, in the trial, and they evaluated nine of them. Um, the other three, there were uh, circumstances <laughs> that prevented them from thinking that they should include them in the uh, final trial outcome measure. <clears throat> when all the puts and takes, you know, um, got to, you know, the final dot, if you will, in, in the press release were read, investors said, no, I'm not focusing on that, that lower protein in the urine what I'm really looking at is the fact that you're telling me that the reduction in the protein urine was only slightly better than what we saw in the placebo group. I think it was 18.4% improvement versus 18%. Yeah. So, I mean, basically no change, no difference there. Um, and then they also came out with, I think, a second PR announcement on Tuesday. That's when you saw the stock jump up about 10%. But all in all, Definitely not what investors were expecting to see. Um, 
I think the key question moving forward, um, and let's even go back, for investors who are following the biotech space, anytime you see results where patients have been excluded from the results, um, you have to immediately ask, okay, if they were studying this particular drug in 12 patients, why is it that only nine were included in the end results. What happened to the others? Sometimes it's a side effect issue. Sometimes there are other reasons. So the intent to treat population is key to hone in on uh, for any study. But look to see why certain patients were excluded. Um, so I think for me, this was um, a study that ultimately was phase two. Phase three, obviously, you're going to be expanding it to a much larger patient population, really looking for those confirmatory efficacy signals. I'm not that hopeful in terms of phase three for OMS 721 in this particular indication for IgA. Are you, Todd? Well, not against placebo, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, okay, so so here's the thing. This is the other thing that investors, if you're new to biotech investing or if you just need a reminder, um, I mentioned previously in in the show that the data that they had shared with us up until now had looked pretty good. One of the things that you have to understand, though, that you know, the data that they had shared, they were using matched controls rather than it wasn't a, it wasn't a placebo controlled study. Now that's okay in certain indications where there's a really really tremendous uh, unmet need and there's really just not enough pu- of of a patient population, and really just you don't want to deny anybody the chance of survival by putting them in the placebo group. So, you know, you can do you can do that. You can do a single arm study. However, the single arm study is only going to tell you so much, right? And it's certainly not going to, um, I guess, add a whole heck of a lot of conviction to the fact that a larger later stage trial is going to read out, appro- you know, read out positively. I think, you know, in one of their trials, the AHUS, A Hus, A-H-U-S, I'm abbreviating here because it's the longest name in history, um, you know, they only reported that, you know, three patients discontinued dialysis, which is great if you're in end-stage renal failure and you're on dialysis, great, that's that's great news, and three others became eligible for kidney transplant, that's great. But again, we're only talking about six patients, and again, that wasn't a placebo-controlled control, study, right? So you have this situation where you've got these two other indications, not IgA, but these two other indications in kidney disease where phase three trials are, gonna, are going on, um, where we're just not really sure what that data is eventually going to look at now that we have this IgA data. And then you've got the IgA you know, situation, and you've got the got management saying, okay, well, yeah, we, we're encouraged enough to continue, and we're going to move this into phase three. We're going to use it to help design phase three. I think one of the other things, Shannon, that we have to recognize with this stock is there was some hope that you could get accelerated approval in these indications. Um, I'm not sure whether or not this latest data may create a roadblock to to that happening. It's certainly not what they would have wanted to see, and I think it may raise some questions at the FDA of really how effective the drug is. Now, the drug is seems to be pretty safe, but again, very small patient population, so we'll need to see it in more patients just to make sure. Yeah, definitely more data for sure. And I mean, when you consider that there aren't any approved treatments in this particular indication that they're going after first, um, 
it certainly makes things hopefully a little bit easier. But then again, from the FDA's perspective, you still have to show that there are clear benefits. And I think that'll be the big question mark for this drug. Um, but they've got, as you mentioned, multiple shots on goal. Um, so they are looking at those other indications. We'll have to wait to see what that shakes out to be. But at least when it comes to this particular stock, um, they do have one approved drug on the market. Um, you talked a little bit at the beginning about kind of the the rocky road it's had over the past year. And it really comes down to the complex reimbursement side for this approved drug. Approved uh, drug. It's called um, Amidria. It's a drug that's designed to basically maintain pupil diameter during eye surgeries and also for pain. Um, but with this this Medicare reimbursement arrangement, um, things actually on the sales side took a nosedive. Todd, what can you tell us about that? Yeah. So when it got approval, I think it was in 2015, it got uh, reimbursement okay from Medicare as a, with pass-through status, meaning that it didn't have to be included in the bundled price. They could actually bill out separately for the use of the drug. And that can actually be profitable for, for the, um, the surgery center that's doing the actual operation because they're able to take a little bit of a margin on that um, with Medicare. That pass-through status expired as of January 1st of this year, meaning that now you had to factor in the use of the drug in the cost of the procedure and then get reimbursed by Medicare based on that, you know, pooled price. Um, as a result, what ended up happening is a lot of surgery centers didn't want to sacrifice the margin on the procedure. And they said, you know, we're just not going to use Entra. And as a result, sales fell off remarkably uh, for the, through the first nine months. Now, on Tuesday, they reported that uh, was it Monday or Tuesday? They came out with a second press release after the after the trial results, saying, "Okay, just letting letting you know, we have passed through status back again. Medicare is allowing it for two years to get charged as passed through status again, and that begins on October one. So, what's going to be really important to investors from here is to watch and see whether or not those surgery centers that no longer uh, were using it come back." and begin prescribing again, and whether or not it becomes a meaningful driver of sales again. I think you could talk about 10 to 12 million in sales per quarter, which certainly would be welcome because if anything, if there's anything that concerns me about this stock, um, Shannon, it's the, the fact that when I was reading through their 10Q, they had a uh, going concern question in there. And for people or investors who aren't familiar, um, Companies, when they are putting together all their numbers, they have to look and see uh, what they expect will happen with their current business and whether or not they, they think they can remain a going concern based upon the information that they have at the time that they put together all these numbers. And if you look at, you know, Omaris's 10Q, last 10Q, um, they concluded that there is a substantial doubt of their ability to continue as a going concern through August 9th of 2019. And that was based on $88 million in cash. And uh, just as an aside, they're spending about $32 million per quarter. So the situation for them is, I'm not going to say dire, because, you know, Amadreas, you know, revenue could start kicking in again, and, and that will help push back that uh, that date. Um, other trial data could come out and these other kind of indications that could excite somebody. Maybe somebody steps up and gives them a partnering deal that, you know, makes their balance sheet flush with cash again. But, you know, given those, given the risks, uh, again, this is another one to be on the sidelines on, in my opinion. 
Totally agree. And maybe even more so here. Um, I think there's a lot of take-home messages for biotech investors just within these two stocks themselves. Um, number one, I mean, we've talked about, obviously, cash position is huge. Having partners that can help fund certainly helps. But ultimately, though, you're looking at potential capital raises that are going to be dilutive to current shareholders if they are able to do so. But with the stocks being so depressed, I just don't see uh, that continuing much longer. Um, Also, too, placebo-controlled data. (laughs) Um, It's one thing to look at studies with those historical controls, but really the gold standard is looking at data and having that placebo arm and ultimately, what you want to see is that there is statistical significance in outperforming the placebo. Um, that should be really the number one thing that you look at when you go through press releases, when you're looking at these study results. Did it beat placebo, and was it statistically significant? Todd, any other last final thoughts on what biotech investors can take away from these two stocks? I think probably, you know... F- Everybody's out there, and if you're a shareholder listening, you've gotten beaten up, and and you know that that's real money that that's been lost. I think, you know, I, I say it over and over again on the show. This is you know diversify, diversify, diversify. When you're looking at clinical stage companies, a lot can and usually does go wrong. So make sure that you're protecting yourself um, and not going all in on these stocks ahead of ahead of what are really binary events. Um, and I think that you, you you know you nailed on on the key things to pay attention to. Just when you're looking at press releases. Always read them um, not through rose-colored glasses, and um, and be willing to to I guess I, I guess admit when you know an event that you thought was going to play out um, the reason or the catalyst for owning the stock when it's changed. Absolutely, and one final thought, Todd. You heard him say it. Read those SEC filings. <laughs> You'd be amazed what you can find in the SEC filings. But that is it for this week's industry focus. Uh, As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Todd Campbell, I'm Shannon Jones. Thanks for listening, and full on. These days, bringing a new drug to life is getting tougher and tougher. It can take billions of dollars and a decade or more to bring an experimental drug from molecule to market. And only one in five marketed drugs ever achieve revenues that match or exceed R&D costs. At Cineos Health, we're working to improve the odds. The result of a merger between INC Research and Inventive Health, Cineos Health is the only company purpose-built to create what we call biopharmaceutical acceleration. Our unique business model allows the clinical and commercial disciplines to work together from the start, sharing critical data, insights, and knowledge. The Cineos Health approach creates success by eliminating traditional obstacles and smoothing the process at every step along the way, from clinical trials to FDA approval, branding and marketing to patient adherence. Every day, Cineos Health is focused on a simple end goal, shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit SineosHealth.com slash podcast.